The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We are continuing this week in our series, uh, Extravagant, Generous Living in Light of the Gospel. So the, the last two weeks, Pastor Vince has talked about being extravagantly generous with our time, talent, and treasure. And so this week, obviously because of the series we're in, I'm going to continue in that vein, but uh, I'm going to specifically um, zone in, hone in, if you will, on money. Yay! Everyone's excited! Woo! Everyone likes to talk about money. Okay, so... Um, money matters. There's, there's just no way of, of getting around it. In a, in a very significant way, our lives will be shaped by what we think about money. And in a way that is inescapable, somehow, some way, your heart will struggle with money. Money is a big deal, but, but an even bigger deal in a, in a world that seems to have gone financially insane. Money is such a big deal that, that in Jesus' teaching ministry... Uh, it's one of his favorite and most important topics. Jesus talks about this topic all the time. And in fact, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. 15% of everything that Jesus said relates to this topic. Of the 39 parables recorded in the Gospels, 11 of them talk about money. And, and this conversation of money, it it, it's not just in the ministry of Jesus, but is a significant theme all throughout all of Scripture. You see, money is, is a powerful thing. On, on one hand, it can spo- expose us to danger, while on the other hand, it can be used of God to reveal the need of our hearts and, and even through us to bless the lives of others. You and I will, will interact with money some way, obviously, because we all have money and we all use it. That, that interaction is one of the things that will set the direction for our lives. When it comes to money, Scripture leaves little room for comfortable neutrality. Money will be a blessing to you, or it will be a curse. It will be a tool in the hands of a God of grace, or it will be a doorway to, a bat, to bad and dangerous things. Um, as, as Paul David Tripp puts it, like two sides of a spiritual coin... There are two spiritual sides to money. Each side calls to you. Each side holds before you a vision and promises. Each side asks not just for the investment of your money, but for the allegiance of your heart. The battle between the two sides of the money coin wages in the heart of every person this side of eternity. Money is a danger. Money is a blessing. So there must be something really potentially dangerous about money because Jesus says, he says this, again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Money can be dangerous. If you have it and you depend on it, it will kill you. If you don't have it and you crave it, it will kill you. Money can kill us because it reveals our hearts. So, 
this isn't a sermon about how, how the church wants your money. Hear me, this, this is a sermon concerned about our hearts. You may handle your finances well according to some other standard or, or based on financial advice or, or compared to other people. However, when it comes to how the Word of God dictates for us to handle our money, I think we all have a lot of room to grow. We can't let our struggle, however, to, to obey God in this area keep us from talking about it. God takes how we use our money seriously, and so must we. Our money makes war for our hearts. It has a godlike ambition to master us and demand worship. It wants all of our allegiance and all of our affection. When Jesus sees anything attempting to steal the hearts of his people, he goes to war with it. He bought our hearts with his blood, and he's not, allowed to, not about to let anything, especially money, take our hearts from him. So, today I want to I look at, at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. You can go ahead and turn there. And I want to see what these verses have to say about how we relate to money. As you're uh, turning there, um, I want to give a little background of kind of where we are quickly, just a small summary. So, in Matthew chapter 6, we find ourselves in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So far, Jesus has emphasized our need to serve God with wholehearted devotion. Only those who are committed to Jesus in heart, soul, and mind can live the life depicted in the sermon, that being uh, from enduring persecution for righteousness' sake to being so focused on our Creator that we don't, we don't care if others ever notice our fervent piety. So, um, Let's read Matthew 6, 19. I guess I should have turned there when I told you to. Luckily, I have this fancy ribbon wherever it is. Uh, okay, so let's read Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Um, so so in, the, in the Greek, this command uh, reads quite a bit stronger. It, it reads something like, do not treasure up treasures for yourselves. So, so why is Jesus commanding this? Because earthly things are temporary. They will rust, rust and corrode and perhaps get stolen. We need to understand that whether someone steals it or we eventually die, we never own anything anyways. We may find temporary satisfaction in things, but we will never find eternal satisfaction in what this world has to offer. Jesus is saying, don't treasure your treasures. At the end of your life, it won't matter how many zeros you had in your bank account. Money can't buy you long-lasting peace with God. It can't buy you security. It can't buy forgiveness from sin. Only Jesus can provide those things. So don't make money your focus. The issue isn't that, that earthly treasures are intrinsically bad, but, but they are of no ultimate value either. So if this, is, if this is true, if this is the case, then it is wrong for the disciple of Jesus to dedicate their lives to continually expanding their earthly treasures. You guys liked that one, didn't you? I can tell. 
We have to remember that, that regarding money and material things, the secret to happiness is, is not more, but it is contentment. Jesus doesn't say it's wrong to, to possess earthly treasure, but he says it's wrong to lay it up for ourselves. We are to hold what we have as stewards. So Jesus' command here is simple. Do not place too much value in the things of this world. Jesus is, is calling out our, our earthly treasures for what they are. They're unreliable and unsatisfying. It's only a matter of time before they let us down. The things money can buy will eventually leave us hopeless. And, and we, we all know this, don't we? Because we've heard story after story of, of rich people uh, saying how unhappy they still are. Happiness doesn't go hand in hand with money, and we know that. Yet, for some reason, it's still so hard for us to give anything away. Why are we so scared and hesitant to give things away? We can't stop treasuring things. We're hardwired by God to treasure something, which is why after time, you will either serve money or you will serve God with your money. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. We'll move on because I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to uh, reveal the whole thing yet. Uh, so you got a glimpse of where we're going. Um, so if we're not supposed to store up treasures for ourselves on earth, what are we supposed to do? Let's, let's read on in, in verse 20. Okay, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. So, so what's Jesus saying? He's saying this, the opposite of what he just said, basically. Heaven, heavenly treasures are everlasting. They are an inheritance that is incorruptible. Jesus is telling us to treasure the treasure of heaven. We need to be heavenly-minded and heavenly-focused. We must in, invest in things that really matter. As we, as we treasure the treasure of heaven, all that we are will be focused on things that will matter for all eternity. Jesus wasn't, he wasn't rebuking us for, for, wanting to treasure, or for wanting treasure or saying we shouldn't spend money. He was challenging us to go after true treasure and to spend our money on the right things. Jesus was challenging us to realize we think far too small with our money. Jesus wants us to put our money towards something that has a higher return on investment. Because Jesus isn't against investment, he is against bad investment. Namely, setting our heart on the comforts and securities that money can afford in this world. Money is to be invested for eternal yields in heaven. So, so how, do we, how do we go about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Um, Luke 12, 32 through 33 gives us uh, uh, one answer. You don't have to turn there. Uh, I'll just read it. So this is, this is one answer of how we can store up treasures in heaven. Here's what it says. Luke 12, 32 to 33. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So the answer to, to how to lay up treasures in heaven is to spend our earthly treasures for merciful purposes 
in Christ's name here on the earth. When, when Jesus is our treasure, we will commit our, our resources, our money, our time, our talents to his work in this world. When we live sacrificially for Jesus' sake to serve him by serving the body of Christ, we store up treasure in heaven. It's, it's these actions that testify that your highest treasure is not in God's gifts, but in God himself. Uh, too often we view being generous as, as losing something, having to give something up. Yet, according to what Jesus says, we're going to lose all of those things eventually anyways. They're not gain. They can't give you what you want. They will fail you. When you die, you can't take those things with you. But Jesus, he wants to give us better treasure, what our hearts are made for. So, so then in verse 21, Jesus, he's coming along, and at this point, he's coming out guns blazing. So let's look at verse 21. Here, here's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, you want to know where your heart is? Look at your wallet. Yep. Would anyone else rather uh, that not be there? You're liars if you didn't say no or yes. Sorry. Yeah, because, because what he just said is, is it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. Let me see your bank statement. You're like, well, what I really love is the Lord. Uh, no, what you really love is new technology. Ouch, that hurt me because I like new technology. Um, you're like, no, no, what I really love is the Lord. No, what you really love is wakeboarding. And, it, and it's not that, that new technology or wakeboarding or whatever you want to put in there are bad things. They're, they're great things. They, they're things to be enjoyed, but they make terrible gods. Who or what do we really trust? How we handle our money has a way of answering that question. Where we put our money reveals what we've put our trust in. Jesus is saying that we can only have our treasure and our hearts in one place. We can't store up treasure on earth and in heaven at the same time. Where the treasure is, there the value and esteem are. Where the treasure is, there the love and affection are. Where the treasure is, there our desires and our pursuits go. The reason the use of money uh, provides a good foundation for eternal life is, is not that generosity earns eternal life, but it shows where your heart is. Generosity con confirms that our hope is in God and not in ourselves or our money. We don't earn eternal life. It is a gift of grace. We, we receive it by resting in God's promise. Then, how we use our money confirms or denies the reality of that rest. So, so you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can attend church consistently, yet none of these reveal your heart toward God like money. There may, may be godly intentions behind some of your spending, but, but God ends up, ends up being a distant third, fourth, or fifth in your life. You love him, but he's only one of the many things you love. God can have our money and not have our hearts, but, but God can't have our hearts without having all of our money. All right, 
Let's, uh, let's read on in verses uh, 22 and 23. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So these verses might seem a little out of place or a little odd because like Jesus is talking about money. Then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you got those eyes and then it's light and darkness and, you know, your body is dark. So it seems a little out of place. But, but Jesus is still talking about money and the way we see it. Um, the bad I hear, so, so the best way to explain it um, that, that I, through studying seen is, is the bad I hear is paralleled um, to a parable in Matthew 20 where, so Jesus is telling this parable in Matthew 20 and, and he's telling a parable about how a master pays workers the same wage for a day that ended at 6 p.m. regardless of if they started at 6 a.m. or 5 p.m. So, so the master's paying people the same whether they worked a 12-hour day or whether they worked a one-hour day. So naturally, because we're sinners and we are stingy most of the time, some of the workers were upset uh, that those who worked so little were paid so much. So in the parable, this is what the master says in response to that. He says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And then the part we're going to focus on, he goes on and he says, or do you begrudge my geni- or do you begrudge my generosity? I don't know what a jenny is. Um, the translation uh, of or, or do you begrudge my generosity is actually a very loose paraphrase of what the the original language says, um, which is this. It says, or is your eye bad? Because I am good. So, so the bad eye is, is in, in, in Matthew 20 of this parable is a parallel to the bad eye that we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. So we can see that a bad eye refers to an eye that cannot see the beauty of grace. It can't see the brightness of generosity. It can't see unexpected blessing to others as a precious treasure. It's an eye that is blind to what is truly beautiful and bright and precious and godlike. A bad eye is a worldly eye. Uh, the eye sees money and material reward as more to be desired than a beautiful display of free, gracious, godlike generosity. So, with that in mind, the flow of the text uh, we've been reading then would go something like this to summarize so far of, of what we've been reading. Don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. Show that your heart is fixed on the value that God is for you in Christ. Make sure your eye is good, not bad. That is, make sure that you see heavenly treasure as infinitely more precious than earthly material treasure. When your eye sees things this way, you are full of light. And if you don't see things this way, even the light you think you see is all darkness. You are sleepwalking through life. So, so Jesus is saying, he's saying, wake up, watch out. The sin is sneaky. You might actually be greedy. This sin hides itself. It, it, it deceives us. That's why he's saying this is, this is a sin of the eye. It, it darkens our eye. 
which darkens our whole body. It, it darkens our perception of everything. So, in light of this, I would ask you this. What physical things get your focus because they connect to the treasure that has already commanded the focus of your heart? What are your physical eyes looking at that your heart has already been longing for? How has your way of seeing the world caused you to be discontent, driven, or envious? What things do your eyes notice because your heart has already named them as important? The treasures of your heart will always shape the way you see. All right, let's read on in uh, verse 24. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So, so Jesus just dropped the bomb of this whole discussion that we've been having. Um, Jesus is alerting us to how high the stakes are and, and what it is he is really talking about. What are the stakes of his treasure conversation Why is this treasure conversation so powerfully important? Why should each of us look at ourselves in the mirror of these words? The answer is clear. Because we will all surrender our heart to some kind of master. No one will escape. No heart will be free. Everyone's heart is mastered by something. And what masters our heart will shape our thoughts, our desires, our choices, our words, our actions, and our emotions. Jesus is saying there's a battle between two kings for your heart. It's a war between King Christ and King Money. Treasure money and what it can buy more than God, and it will rob you of Him and buy you terrifying, unending pain apart from Him. I'm going to say that again. Treasure money and what it can buy more than God, and it will rob you of him and buy you terrifying, unending pain apart from him. King Jesus and King Money are are irreconcilably opposed. There There can't be room. They can't be room together in the human heart. One of these kings will become the functional master of your heart, and one of these kings will guide your decisions. Both of these kings will, will tell you uh, how to view life and, and what is important to focus on as you do. Each of these kings, King Money and King Jesus, offers you hope, life, and peace, but only one of these kings is able to deliver. And so we should pay attention um, that, that of all the false masters, all the, all the pseudo-kings that Jesus warns us about, he chooses money. Isn't that interesting? Could it be that Jesus understands that this, this false king is the most seductive and deceptive of all of them? Could it be that this is the master whose power is hardest for us to escape? Could it be that nothing besides money more forcefully challenges the mastery of Jesus over our hearts? Or could it be that Christ is alerting us to the fact that many more of us bow at the feet of this king than we tend to think. 
Maybe, maybe many, many of us are, are confused as to who the master is that we are really serving. Maybe we, we pay lip service to the king of kings while in our daily lives we do homage to the money king. Maybe the, the degree of drive of, of discontentment and debt exposes the king we are really serving. Maybe what many of us attempt to do on Sunday is is switch kings because the king we have come into the room to worship is not actually the king we have been serving all week. If our week is spent loading up more debt on credit cards that you don't know how you'll pay so that you can have more physical stuff, you are worshiping king money. If you work more than you should work to acquire more wealth and power, you are worshiping king money. If, if your security is found in how much is in your bank account, how nice your house is, how sweet your car is, you're worshiping king money. If none of this has offended you yet, maybe this one will. Not that I'm trying to offend you. Again, remember, this is a sermon with concern of our hearts. Um, if you get more personal excitement shopping than you do gathering with God's people to worship him, maybe the mall is your temple and perhaps money really is the king you serve. I know, um, I know this is going to sound harsh what I'm about to say, but really I, I would hope and pray that all of us, um, all of us would want this. If money and material possessions have become our gods, may we be so blessed as to have them taken away from us, rather than spend our lives bowing down to them only to find out that we missed the real thing. So, so what will help us um, combat against uh, storing treasures on earth? What will help us combat from having a bad eye? What will help us combat uh, serving king money? That's right. In case you haven't gotten there yet, I'm sure most of you have. What combats against all of those things is extravagant generosity. We see through uh, the scriptures that apparently there are two ways to live. We can store treasures on heaven or we can store treasures on earth. We can have a good eye or we can have a bad eye. We can, we can serve Jesus or serve money. We store up treasure in heaven by giving rather than accumulating. If laying up treasures in heaven is the opposite of laying up treasures on earth, then probably laying up treasures in heaven will not be laying up treasures on earth. But what will it be? It will be giving them away in ways that magnify the worth of Jesus. We have a good eye by having eyes that see money and material reward as less to be desired than a beautiful display of free, gracious, godlike generosity. And, and what proves that money has no power over us more than freely and extravagantly giving it away? We serve God with our money by being generous to those in need. And we serve God with our money by helping to fuel the mission of the gospel. So, in talking about generosity, Christians, 
Christians ought to be known as the most generous people on the face of the earth. And, and you're like, why? Why, Jordan? Why should we? Let me tell you. Uh, because Christians, more than anyone else, Christians are to un- understand that we are owners of nothing and stewards of everything. Everything we have is a gift from God that we're to handle responsibly. The only thing, listen, the only thing that you and I own, the only thing that's really ours is our sin. Everything else is a blessing from our Creator. So, so God motivates us um, to give by saying our generosity will make sense when we see the treasures we get in the next life. E- extravagant generosity reinforces to us that this is not our home. Letting go of things is a reminder for us that we can't keep of any of it, that, that this life is just a warm-up for the next eternal life to come. On that day, when we see Jesus face to face, everything that was lost here in this life will be gained there in that life. Do we believe that? We have to believe that. Generosity looks like this in, in a couple different ways. Generosity to the local church is, is preaching to your heart that you're part of a family that will last forever. It will la- outlast every biological family. Generosity to the poor preaches to your heart that, that Jesus became poor for us, that in his poverty we might be rich in God. Generosity to the nations, hearing the gospel preached to them for the first time, preaches to our hearts that we're part of God's mission to rescue all the people of the, of the earth, that they might dwell with him in heaven forever. So extravagant generosity in each of our lives, in, in context, it's going to look a little, little different. But, but extravagant generosity, it, it should always cause our lives to look radically different from our unbelieving neighbor's lives. So here's what C.S. Lewis um, says kind of regarding that, that thought. And again, this is C.S. Lewis. This is not me. So get mad at him if you want to get mad at somebody. Here's what he says. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we are probably giving away too little. And then he goes on. If, if our charities do not, at all, do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. And then he says, there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities exclude them. So when generosity causes you to to decrease your your eating out or or to downsize your home or, or to decrease your hobbies, you're preaching to your heart that God is greater than all of these things. You're banking on the fact that God is better. So I'm going to hit you with a back-to-back quote, because you guys know how I do. You know I like quotes. Uh, So Robert Murray Machane, a Scottish pastor who died at the age of 29 in 1843, spoke of of, of the mercy and generosity of Christians as, as the evidence that they were indeed Christians. So, so. 
he spoke of mercy and generosity of Christians as the evidence that they were Christians. And, and here's what he said about that. <clears throat> I, am, I am concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there, will, there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. And then he goes on and he says, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. And then he says, Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Yep, told you it was good. Conviction is a good thing. Listen, conviction is a good thing. That's what I'm telling you. It's, it's good. Not condemnation. Don't be condemned. So, so we should give. We should give generously. We should give abundantly. And we should give sacrificially. We should give not because, because our stuff is bad, but we should give because Christ is in us. We should give because our hearts have been captured by a Savior who has, as the Scriptures say, produced in us overflowing joy, welling up in rich generosity. Um, I, I do want to have a little disclaimer. So, so I do want to make clear that the Bible never teaches that, that, that the physical world and all the beautiful things in it are evil. It never says that. The Bible never says it is evil to find pleasure in created things. The Bible never says it is wrong to own some of those things. The Bible never says that money is evil. It doesn't. It says the love of money is evil. It never teaches that it is evil to acquire or spend, or spend money. It never teaches that all rich people are unspiritual, and it never teaches that all poor people are godly. However, it is all too easy for us to think we are serving God when we are really serving the stuff of this world. Everything, everything we receive is for our joy, and our joy is increased when God's provision multiplies in good works, extravagant giving, a wealth of generosity, and an eager and open-handed sharing. So as we, as we begin to, to consider all of these things, it, it's going to be a difficult process. Um, what would we have to change in our lives? What would we have to give up? What about that debt we haven't dealt with or those spending habits you can't imagine giving up? Are you thinking about those things that are off limits that God can't touch? Again, remember, everything we have belongs to Him. I, I, I hope that God would reveal to us the things we're treasuring more than God. I hope we would experience the, the forgiveness of worshiping money through excess and hoarding. I hope God would begin to, to free us into levels of generosity that will, that will bring levels of joy we never thought possible. Um, if, if you're feeling guilt or shame and, and your first thought is to give God a lot of money so he'll love you, that's not how it works. The only generosity that can save you is God's generosity through giving us Jesus. You don't give to be loved. 
God's already loved you first because he's given you Jesus. When it comes to our finances and generosity, all of God's people start with grace. You don't start in debt with him. Jesus paid for that. So now, why do we give? We give and are generous not to earn something from him, but to enjoy all that he has already purchased for us. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. But he wants your heart. Let's pray. God, we are, we are so grateful for what you have spoken to us tonight. God, help us to, to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. God, help us to have eyes of, of mercy and of grace and generosity. God, forgive us when we have, have loved money more than you. Forgive us for when we have bowed at the feet of King Money. God, help us to be people who are extravagantly generous with our money. God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to, to make our lives look radically different from, from our unbelieving neighbors when it comes to generosity. God, help us to believe that material things will not satisfy. And help us to believe that only you satisfy Jesus. Help us to believe and trust that you are our treasure, our only treasure. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.